Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, this episode, this this show, I'm going to do something a little different. We're not going to talk about motocross any, supercross. You guys know, if you've been listening a while, that I love music, especially metal music. Uh, one of my very good buddies, like a brother to me, longtime friend, Mr. Monty Pittman, is going to come on this evening and talk about his his career a little bit, how he got into music. Uh, if you've been listening, I've played some of his music to open the show in the past. He's an, an absolutely amazing, incredible guitar player. Uh, he's, he's been Madonna's guitar player for like 20 years. He's also a metal guy. He has his own um, individual solo albums through Metal Blades and tours all the time. I want to get him on here, talk a little bit about you know music from the beginning as a kid all the way up to what he's doing currently. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, if you're not a motocross fan and you found this particular interview through Monty Pittman, I appreciate you guys listening. But uh, yeah, we're going to get into it here in just a minute. I'll be getting him on the phone and we're going to talk some music. So I hope you guys stay tuned and check it out. Oh, and by the way, the plan as of right now, hopefully this is the way it works out, is I'm going to interview him for about an hour about his career. And then at a later time, I'm going to, hopefully this weekend, I'm going to add on, get a couple of his ex-musicians, ex-bandmates that are good buddies of mine from his um, local band here in East Texas that was called My Remains. They were a metal band. They toured all over. Uh, I'm going to get a couple of those guys in to, and let Monty get on here and hopefully tell some stories. Hopefully that works out. If, if it doesn't end up on the end of this podcast, it was just a timing issue. We couldn't get the scheduling together. But yeah, stay tuned. This should be fun. I am here with one of my best friends, my brother from another mother, Mr. Monty Pittman. What's up, Monty? Hey, what's up? How's it going? It's going good, man. Just hanging out. Really excited to do this podcast with you. Um, yeah, me too. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. For having me. Absolutely. Now, you don't have a lot of time, so we're going to get right into this. Um, you are a guitar player. You are a professional musician, but I've known you since about 1996 when we were still young and uh, living in Longview, Texas. What I want to do is, uh, like yesterday. yeah, it does kind of feel that way a little bit. I don't feel as old as we are. Um, I'm not old. I don't know about you. Uh, I'm not old though. Fair enough. <laughs> Neither am I. Um, okay. Let's get into, uh, as a child, man, what are your very first memories of hearing music? Uh, well, that would be my sister, Michelle. And she would always, uh, I would sneak into her room or just go into her room and listen to her music. She had, um, most of the Kiss records, and that was my big thing, is, is, is the you know, listening to her Kiss records. That's where it all started for me. She, a lot of her tape collection, I didn't really listen to. Like, she had the first Van Halen album. I think she had, like, Fair Warning, Women and Children First. She yeah. probably had the, the first four of those albums. Um, and I, I remember the Mob Rules Black Sabbath cover was really cool. But I, I, I didn't really get into the music okay so um, you gravitated though like me to hard rock and metal but i'm t- like even yeah. as a little kid were your parents into music do you remember hearing music around the house a lot uh well yeah my mom would always play 
she always played really cool music. I don't necessarily feel that they know what it is. Okay. It was almost like, um, well, I, I remember her always playing like ELO and kind of weird, almost like Hungarian gypsy jazz music. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so I think it was probably from like compilation records where they had a bunch of different music. Yeah. You know, probably a, a bunch of different things on one record. Okay. That's, uh, that's what I remember. Yeah, so again, you're the same about the same age as me. Uh we're probably just a few months apart. Um, you know, the eighties were hair bands, you know, poison, motley crew. Um, what was the first band that was like I know Kiss is a huge thing, so this may be the answer, but what was the first band that was like your band? This is this is life changing for me. Yeah, well all the all the KISS stuff, all that stuff that was in the seventies. In the eighties, that's when M T V first came out, but then like where I live, we we didn't have MTV because growing up in Longview, the Jehovah's Witnesses they they owned the cable companies and they made it where you couldn't have MTV. Yep. The only way you would have MTV was if you had one of those massive satellites in your front yard. <laughs> right, right, right. I remember those. Yeah. And, and so if you went to somebody's house, or I, I think if if someone lived in an apartment complex, you know, sometimes like they would have MTV. Um, so I was at a couple of places where you'd see like the Quiet Right Metal Health video or Come On Feel the Noise. Yeah. And I remember like you know, the motels and um, Duran Duran. That kind of stuff was, was the only thing available. Okay. But the first, I guess the first band that really, you know, after Kiss kind of came Motley Crue that was, um, you know, the band that, that, I, that I liked. But that was when that was like Shout at the Devil, Theater of Pain. Yeah, early eighties, mid eighties. That that kind of well, that's when those came out. But you didn't hear about that stuff for a couple of years later. It sure. took a, a while for that to to gain some traction. You know, I was still listening to Creatures of the Night and and all that in the early eighties. Def Leppard, Pyromania. Yeah. As soon as that came out, that was a, a big deal. Uh, when Kiss Lick It Up came out, that was a huge deal because they didn't have makeup on. And you're like, wait, which one is Paul Stanley? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And who's this guy? That's not Ace. You know, all that stuff. Um, but then when my um, when my, my cousin Natalie had played me Master of Puppets, and, she, and my cousin Jimmy, who has played with me on tour before, he yep. had been telling me about it. And his friend, he was in a band, and his friend Frank was telling me about this local band, Pantera. Like, he was wearing their shirt. He was a huge fan of theirs. Was, I mean, this was, this was before Phil was even in the band. Yeah, this was when they and were so, kind of a, a, a hair metal band almost, right? Yeah, well, everybody was. And that yeah. was what, you, you, if you weren't a hair metal band, you probably weren't very successful. True. You know, back then. But, um, yeah, so that's, when my cousin Natalie played me, Side two of the cassette of Master of Puppets, who are massive JBL speakers. That's that was what I was like. Okay, this is this uh, further continues what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Okay, so at that point, you you knew you wanted to get involved with music. It sounds like were you already playing any kind of instruments, whether it be piano or anything like that, or was that the first step right there? No, I played. Um, I was in, you know, we had music classes in school mm -hmm. back then, and 
that was before, yeah, that was before I played anything. Because I didn't get my first guitar until I was 13. I wanted to play guitar, but I just never had a guitar. I mean, guitars are expensive. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Was was reading music in those early, you know, elementary days, or was that something that came pretty easily to you? Because I've heard you do a uh, guitar clinic at Munt Music here in Longview, and I've heard you talk to Frank from Anthrax about theory of music, and it's so in-depth the way you see music. It's so... Clearly, you were born to play music, but was it easy in the beginning? Uh, I don't I don't remember. Uh, the, the rhythms, yes. The notes, because when I, when I did play an instrument in school, it was drums. Mm-hmm. And so it was just rhythm. And, and I learned so much about rhythms from that. You know, you're just playing a snare drum or you're just playing a hi-hat. Right. Because you have a whole ensemble of musicians and if you're playing a hi-hat, you're, you could just be playing with eight notes or like a typical sort of hi-hat, you know, beat or rhythm, but you have to keep that in time because so, yeah. it's easy to sort of fluctuate where it'll speed up or speed down. So you have to really control yourself to do that. And... Um. Yeah, for 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 reading, I, I do see it very differently. I've had some amazing teachers. Uh, but Dolores Rhodes is uh, one of my teachers that I had that really, really got on me on the 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 sheet music side, the sight reading side. Robert Browning, who still teaches there in Longview. Yep. Um. That, he's he's my guitar teacher. He taught me how to play. He still teaches me the things to to this day. Um, but that was more playing, more chord charts, more just things that you can do on the guitar and, and just being able to actually play. Yeah. For Dolores Rhodes, I took piano lessons from her. Okay. And and she taught her son Randy, but and it's just it doesn't matter what instrument it is. It's just about the music theory side. Yeah. But she taught me a lot about like tapping your foot, which seems like it's so simple, but the way that she explained it. She could go on and do lessons and lessons and lessons on the art of that, of keeping time. Because people always tap their foot, their foot goes down, but you have to have the same amount of time coming up. Okay. And that makes such a difference in the precision. And also looking at all of the notes when you're looking at like a, you know, like sheet music and where everything makes a, a point, you know, that the highest note that goes up. Wow. Yeah. That's so, again. Because, because for, yeah, for me, reading music, I'm actually, I don't think I'm very good at it at all. Like, I would have to, I, I've only done, I've only done, I think, one professional job where I had to read music, and still, the conductor, uh, he, that, that was when Madonna was doing the Rebel Heart album, and hmm. the conductor, we did we did that at Capitol Records Studio, where, where Frank Sinatra recorded everything. But still, even though, I mean, it was cool to be in there, play, and read music, but then the conductor, he's like, hey, you know what, I'm going to change all this stuff anyway and then he was just he was like he's like here play uh he would sing it to me he's like here play this and this and this and he recorded me separately doing that okay so it kind of didn't even matter yeah well for those that don't know that are listening to this dolores rhodes is the mother of legendary guitar player randy rhodes who played with ozzy uh quite right to begin with and passed away uh many years ago but he's he's a guitar god for sure um Okay, so when do you get your first guitar? When I was thirteen, for, for I got it for Christmas. 
and that's from Santa Claus. And do you take lessons right away? Do you um, just try to play by ear like we hear about so many greats doing? Um, you know, how does that, how's the process the first, say, year? It was, um, I, I didn't actually start taking lessons uh, for for a year after I got my first guitar. Okay. But I would, I would, um, I would get guitar magazines or buy sheet music. There was a, there was a Sam Goody in the mall. Yeah. And so I, I got the, the sheet music for the song, just, just that one song for one from Metallica. And when I got home from school, I would sit and I would just look at the music and go like, okay, the first note, that's a B. So I would play a B on the guitar. It's like, okay, the next note is an F sharp. So I play an F, F sharp on the guitar. So, <laughs> All right, now it goes back to that same B, so I play that again. And so just, I would take it measure by measure, and then after a while, you're like, oh, a lot of these same parts happen over and over again, and you start to recognize them. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, again, for somebody who's born to, it sounds it sounds relatively easy. For somebody who has no musical ability, it's like rocket science almost. Um, okay, I remember you telling everybody has a Everybody has a musical ability. Anybody can sing. Anybody can play guitar. I mean, I look at it like if I can do it, anybody can do it. But it's just it's just a matter of practice and wanting to do it. That's like yeah. Anything else. I've heard that. Yeah. Um, like I I couldn't say that I couldn't be a lawyer. Like I would <laughs> if I were to do it all over again, I would I would have been a lawyer. If I could go back in time, I'd say no, mommy, you're going to be a lawyer. But it's it's just a matter of of understanding it and learning it and the experience of being around it. Yeah. How how long does it take before you're fairly proficient? Like you could play a full song, you know, and and, and you know where you feel pretty good. I don't remember. It's, okay. Um, a day. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Yeah. And, and a couple hours, maybe. You're right. All right. So I remember you telling me at one point that Steve Vai's Passion and Warfare kind of changed your life or maybe i read that one of the articles you did when you were first moved to california but um is that accurate and talk about that a little bit that is and i told him that and he said yeah change mine too <laughs> yeah i bet yeah yeah that was really one of the first uh instrumental albums i think like guitar albums that really went mainstream and uh, that i know of yeah i got that tape or i, I, I think i had the tape i still have it right and I, I took it back. I didn't like it because it was it was too kind of musical. I wanted him to. I've always wanted him to just like rock out and like jam. And he's never really done anything like that. Right. He's come close, but it's like, and that's part of the beauty of it is he never lets you have it. He always makes you kind of <laughs> want it. But, right. Right. But when you think of like Bad Horsey, and there's a there's one part of Fire Garden where it kicks in. Um, and then there's that kind of part of erotic nightmares, but he, he never, he's never really had just a song where it's just ripping and jam, which in my personal music is something that I've tried to do. Like with my song obliterated, it's like, wouldn't that be cool if one of these guys had done like a full on like heavy song Yeah, where it's not, you know, where they are doing the shredding and the, playing the melodies on the guitar, but also just playing some serious riffs. But that album, it, it, it was it, it was it was so in, inspiring because he was so um, innovative as a guitar player and ahead of his time. He, he still is, 
everything he does is, is ahead of his time. He's just, he's a genius guitar player. He's an amazing human being. Right. And, 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 that, and that's what it all, that's where it all comes out from that. You know, he's an amazing dad. Like his kids are amazing. His kids are cool. You know, it's, yeah. he's just a different kind of, he's just a different person than anyone else. Okay. Well, yeah, that's, that's really cool. I want to ask you about meeting your heroes at some point in this interview, but, um, so at this point, where, when do you, I've heard the story and I, I've never actually asked you or Chris, uh, Chris Sheehan, who is your singer in my remains, a, a local metal band that you guys started. How did you guys meet and how far along in your guitar playing were you at this point? That's a really cool story looking at it now because I was about 14 and then one of my best friends at the time, Eric Mosley, and I would go to Mutt Music. Chris was there at the same time and we would go, the first time I ever went there, I went to, uh, I went to, you know, to, I wanted to try out a, a guitar and an amp and so you asked the guy that works there, hey, can I try this out? And they had this room where you could sit and play. Yeah. And I went in there, and it was a PV. It was some PV amp, and the way those amps work are really weird. If you've never even played through an amp before, because it's not like your volume in your game. You have pre and you have post, so you don't really understand what the 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 volume level is. And I just hit a button, and it was really loud. <laughs> and then this guy who used to work there, Rob Lawson, came in, and he said something like. Geez, I hope you never have kids or something. Like that. <laughs> and uh, and I felt terrible. I felt like I was in trouble. Right. But we were playing, and I don't know if that was the time or or if, or, or what, but it was around there, like playing guitars in the guitar area of Mutt Music. And then Chris was there, and we were both. I think he was playing Sanitarium from Metallica. And then we both started talking about that because Eric, um, he had gotten me for Christmas. He bought me the book of Master of Puppets. And I was, and I learned the entire album. Oh wow! Okay. And so that's how you know, I would just take each song. You know, maybe I didn't learn it. I may not have learned everything note for note, but sure, pretty much the whole thing. And uh, and so we started talking about that. And his name is Chris Sheehan. And I think he told me that his second cousin was Billy Sheehan, which is <laughs> weird because right. he, Billy played on one of my albums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the famous bass player, Billy Sheehan, for anybody that does know, Mr. Big, numerous other projects, Steve I, best bass player on the planet. Yes, uh, absolutely. So, um, oh, okay, yeah, keep going. Yeah, so that, that's how we first met, and then we were like, well, let's get together and play, and, or we're, let's, well, we just became friends from that, so then we would get together at the mall, and then he had two friends, Dak Elmore and Joe Delbar. And Joe played drums and Dak played bass. And so I was going to be the guitar player. And then we, we started our first band. And we would play in Dak's um, garage. The, the cops would always get called as soon as we started playing. <laughs> well, how long does it turn become before it becomes My Remains? Um, well, there's a few factors in that. Okay. Um, uh, well, we we had some some friends of ours that we played like there was Rio Wallace who yep. was the guitar hero then, and uh, so we would every once in a while we would somehow talk Rio into coming over and just jamming with us. We would like <laughs> I don't know I think they would tell him like hey we got a twelve pack of cans of beer or some Schaefer, 
or something like that and get Rio to come over and jam. And I was always the youngest of everybody. Yeah, yeah. And so that was that was a lot of fun having somebody to play with them and you know ha- you know having somebody kick your ass and then just like really kind of push you. And you you also you you learn things from each other and you pick up things from each other. And then also uh what what really how my remains started like the actual band my remains was uh Joe our drummer had moved to Alpine Texas and then me so I think Chris met Kevin at Monaco's which was a team club it was yep. also it used to be the jungle right right and, and that's where we played that's where our band insanity that's where, that's where we played our first show and Kevin was like the big like star of of being around, like he, he almost couldn't. He was too cool to even talk to. And I remember Chris going like, "Man, I I, I, I talked to Kevin Blaylock," and we were like, "What? Really? He, yeah. he talked to you? You know?" And um, and he's like, "Yeah, he said that he would jam with us." So we're like, "No way." <laughs> <laughs> that's that's so funny so looking back me, on it now. Yeah, I know. And then me and and Chris drove. He lived in Dangerfield, which seemed just like a, a such a big deal to go. Uh, and, and jam with him, but he had his drums. He had a number one. He had, he had a drum set. It was set up at his house in his garage. He had a PA, I think, and we could we could go over there and play. And so me and Chris went over there. We had to talk my parents into it because that was a that was another huge deal. Like you you think back now, like oh, I'm just gonna go to. Um, to go jam at this guy's house. No, that was a, that was probably weeks of talking to my parents, of begging to to go outside of the city limits of Longview. Right. And yeah. So then we go to uh, so we go to Dangerfield. And Chris borrowed his grandfather's truck, so we, we were able to go to Dangerfield and, and jam with this guy. And we're thinking, and he and Kevin acted like, yeah, whatever. These guys, these, these kids are okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. And we were like, I wonder if he liked it or whatever. And so, uh, and then that, anyway, that's how that kind of started. And then we were like, well, hey, we know this bass player. So we told Dak, we're like, hey, we started jamming with Kevin Blaylock. And um, Dak, of course, Dak was like, what? For, for real? Like, yeah, right. Like, he'd talk to you or whatever. But um, so then we all started playing together. And then we brought in Jim Day also, who was, he was older than all of us, and he had played in a lot of bands. And he and his brother were both known to everybody as these just incredible musicians. That you didn't think of Jim as he was a guitar player. You think of Jim as an amazing bass player too, like or keyboard player, like whatever Jim played or his brother Bill. They were amazing musicians at whatever they did, and just. They would write together, and they would write this just stuff that you would never think of. So with Jim coming in saying, hey, I've got these songs, and us playing them, mm-hmm. it was such a perfect combination. And then Dak had this um, really artistic style of writing music. And, and then me and Chris would get together, and just he and I would write a song. So we had just this really eclectic uh, band after that. And so I worked at, I got a job working at Hastings, which is where the pet store is now by Taco yep. Bell. Yep. 
I know that Hastings had moved, but that, so we got our first gig, or my manager at Hastings was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do like a summer kind of party here in the parking lot and want you guys to play. So then we, we played our, our first show there, but we had to play for a long time. So we, we only had a couple of originals, but we would play a lot of cover songs. And, and so that, that's how My Remains first started. Okay. After a while, we had, you know, just as bands are, like um, Jim stopped playing in the band, Dak stopped playing in the band. With uh, After Dak, we had played with this band Shave and Mary a lot. Yep. So we got Tim Carlson to play bass. And then Tim kind of added that. Tim was perfect at the time because he was into a lot of the same things that Chris and Kevin were, which was kind of a lot of like jazz fusion kind of stuff. I, I never disliked it, but I wasn't into it as much as they were. I was getting more into like Cannibal Corpse and like I wanted to make us a death metal band. They wanted to make us more like the Yellow Jackets or something. That's funny because and everybody had everybody had their own sort of vision. Yeah, and you put it all together, and that was one of the magical things about that. I would have I would have thought that Kevin was more the death metal guy because that's what he is now. And that you would have been more the jazz fusion guy. So that's that's interesting because I didn't know you guys at that time. I didn't really well, meet we, you guys until about '96. Yeah, well, we all liked all of. Like yeah. Kevin was also into death metal, and right. I was also into jazz. But as far as what do you want this band to be, or what do you write? Yeah. I didn't necessarily at the time know how to write that kind of stuff, you know, because it's very complicated, and it didn't interest me on guitar. Okay. Um, before yeah, that would be great if you had horns and stuff like that. And then Tim Tim left, and then we got Eric Allen. Yeah, and that was the last version of of my remains because Eric was known as being like you know one of the best bass players around, mm-hmm. and we had known him, and he was kind of the last sort of piece of the puzzle of us saying, well, what um, you know, it was kind of like how it had started of me and Chris talking to Kevin. You know, and getting him to play, it's like, oh, well, we could never get Derek Allen to play. Right. Shows, that sort of thing. Yeah, you guys became a, for the local area, even East Texas and, sh- like, western Louisiana, like a power, the power local band, period. Um, and I want to get into that in a second. I do want to ask you about, through this time, uh, you're in high school. I'm going to high school. I hadn't met you yet. But um, for the people that don't know, we're you know, East Texas, dress codes, Bible Belt, um, White Oak, where I went to school, Spring Hill, where you went to school, strict dress codes. You had to wear a wig through high school to have long hair. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So I, so yeah, there was a, um, I went to Spring Hill and you couldn't have, your hair couldn't come past your collar. Yep. It couldn't come halfway past your ears, which is probably where the mullet came from, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because if you, yeah, if you think about it. So, that summer, you know, I was about to be a senior in high school. That summer, the the band was doing really good. We were playing in Tyler. We were playing in Shreveport. We were playing in Dallas. We were playing in Texarkana. The, you know, the <laughs> the world was our oyster, you know. Like, things yeah. were about to happen. And everybody had grown their hair out, and there was no way in hell I was going to be the only guy in the band with short hair. <laughs> and so, I mean, it was 1994. So, That's yeah. That was 1993. Yep. I mean, if that that's when Far Beyond Driven was coming out, uh, White Zombie, Sepultura, um, Chaos AV, Prong Cleansing, 
before corn and all that stuff, Pearl Jam's uh, verses had just come out. Like there was no being in a band, if, right? And right. having short hair. Yeah, Nirvana, Nevermind just came out in '93, yeah. I think. So yeah. Yeah, I was right there with you. I just that's very dedicated though. I was always impressed by that story. Okay, so like I said, at that point, uh, my remains is growing. You guys are getting a hell of a following. I meet you guys a few years later. You at this point, Eric Allen is in the band. It's you, Mondi, Chris, Sheehan, Kevin Blaylock, Eric Allen. I see you guys at the uh, Ocean Club, which is just a it was a hole in the wall bar where metal bands would play sometimes. I was blown away. Um, got a chance to kind of, you know, introduce myself and, you know, within a small amount of time, we become friends. I start following you guys around as you're touring. And at this point, really, my remains is opening for a lot of well-known major bands. And if I'm not mistaken, that includes Corrosion and Conformity, Caius, Acid Bath, Jackal a few years later, and probably a ton of others that I don't remember. Um, how was that? I mean, it had to be awesome as just as fans of music to play with guys that were probably some of your heroes, but also to be like, you know, superstars of your local area. It was cool. I mean, looking back now, Acid Bath was one of the, the, uh, the trophies of back then, because that's still one of my favorite bands from back then. And you know, something to think about is that that band got taken away from, like you don't, you don't have it. Right, you know, you, you, it's not a band that's going to ever get back together and play, and I think that's one of the reasons people like My Remains so much is because it kind of stopped. It's just your memories. Man, you know, I like, don't know. I, I I really I truly believe had all four of you been on the same page in 1999 at the end of 99 when you decided to go to California, had the band went and actually hit the road. Um. I, I just I think you guys could have been a very powerful force in the industry. If we all four went to LA, we would have been one of the biggest bands in the world. I, I truly all the bad that. things all the bad things would have come with that. So yeah. I'm kind of glad that we're all still alive. That's know? true, yeah. But um I, who knows? I I think about like if you know, imagine if Brian Slagle had hurt us. Yes, yes. You know, but we we didn't know how when I got signed on my own as a as a solo artist and I played and the album I was doing for Brian Slagle, and that, that's the owner of Metal Blade Records. That's who um, discovered Metallica, right. Slayer, Cannibal Corpse, the Goo Goo Dolls. Um, and he's like, "How come you've never sent anything?" He's like, "How come you've never sent anything to a record label before?" I said, "I don't know how." Right. Like, what, what are you supposed to really like? I've always heard the stories. I remember Burton Bell from Fear Factory gave me Monty Connor's number, address, and everything because we had been hanging out with him. And and I remember like calling the number at the middle of the night, like let's let's see if someone really answers. Yeah. Like, I didn't know what to. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to really uh, submit something from someone. And that was the problem with where we lived in the time we lived. Nobody really knows. If we were a country band or something like that, we would have had a great chance. There could have been somebody in the area right. that, that that knew what to do. I mean, because you, you just didn't hear of that in the area. I mean, look at Acidbath. Look at how amazing Acidbath were. Yep. They signed a whole, like a horrendous record deal that completely screwed them, and that's what cost one of the things that cost them their entire band. Um, you know, Pantera were, you know, their dad had a, a, a recording studio that was one of the top 
recording studio, the country guys would come and play. So they you you they had a way of of knowing at least like well here you need to send this to this these people and you need to do this and do that. But still, the way they got signed was just like a, a stroke of luck because the guy who signed them was stuck in town and they were they just happened to be playing a party yep. and the guy that signed them was was um, he was he was stuck because of a hurricane or, or something with weather. Like his, his flights got canceled and he just went out for the night. Yeah, it really and is they, they, with a lot of bands, like right place, right time, or knowing somebody. I remember when you decided to go to L.A. and there was a lot of the local fans. You know, back then the message boards on the websites were big and people were mad at you. And huh. There was a lot of drama. And, oh, you know, huh. bands can make it here in Texas. And I, I remember, like, making a post like, name me the metal bands that have actually made it out of Texas. You know, that you could name, well, rock bands. You can name ZZ Top. You can name Pantera. But if you go, okay, name the bands that have made it out of L.A., there was, at that time, you know, almost infinite, you know, it just wasn't the right place. And it, but what you said about, you know, all the bad things coming along with the success that would have probably came is probably true, but it was very, I I was really disappointed because I knew how talented you guys were. If you go back and listen to condition and buried and the unreleased songs from the buried era, um, the things you guys were doing were just blowing anything away. And I remember, you guys opening for bands like in Shreveport that were at the time big bands, like a band that was called Pissed, Pissed On or Piston, and those bands getting like <laughs> booed, booed after you guys blew them off the stage as the opening band. I forgot about that. And Johnny Kelly was the drummer too. Yeah, <laughs> I got. I, he's a good friend of mine. He's played with me for my. Johnny has played drums for me for my solo stuff before. Oh, okay. I, I don't think I've ever remembered to bring that up. Well, you should. Right? Maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, I mean, I know you're running out of time. We're going to we're gonna stop this thing here just a minute, and we're going to have a, a, a separate part to this later on, um, which I'll release it all at the same time. So if you're listening to this, you won't even know it. But, um, yeah, I just um, – what before, we, before I let you go, what was the decision in 1999 to move to California? How did that come up? Because I know it was very difficult. Well, I mean, there's a, you know, it, with everything with me, there's a, there's a few factors. Um, was uh, I, I went to the the Phantom Menace, the, the Star Wars convention, and it was in Denver. Yeah. And so I I flew there because it just seemed like such a cool thing. I was what, like 23 years old, and so I flew there, and then after flying there, I'm like, that's it. Like to get on there, being at the airport, I'm like, wow, these people are going to LA and New York and Chicago. Yeah. Like, that's it. I could just fly and be there. <laughs> and my cousin Natalie, again, she lived in LA in Manhattan Beach. And she's like, well, if you ever want to come out here, come. She's like, I think you'd love it out here. You should come, you, you should come out to LA. And so I, after after going to Denver to the Star Wars convention, <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to L.A. and I'm, I just want to go visit her and see what it's like. So I go, and, and everything was happening at, at the time. I would turn on. I remember just like I woke up like and I turned on TV is on VH1, and and I swear like Eddie Vedder was talking about going down to L.A. and surfing, yeah. and then when he first started getting with the guys in Pearl Jam and playing and. It's just everything was L.A., 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 L.A. Like, well, I went to L.A. 
and it just was like this sign, I guess, which was exactly 20 years ago now, actually. Yeah, yeah. But, which is bizarre. Well, you but, called me. And so I, go ahead. I went, you know, no, you, well, yeah, so I, I then I went to go visit my cousin, and I was like, okay, I'm moving here, like, we need to come here, and so I just, I was like, there's, I, I can't, now that I've seen this, I can't go back and not ever come here. I can't say what would have happened if I would have ever gone to mm, LA. Right. You know, I was single. I didn't have any ties to anything. I didn't have any sort of, no responsibilities or anything. Yeah. I, so I went there and then that was that, you know, that, I, well, not that was that, but that's, it was a lot of crafty decision making. Like I started working at the guitar center in Hollywood which, but I lived in Redondo Beach because yeah. I liked it there. I didn't realize when I went home at night is when bars and clubs were closing at 2 a.m. and I didn't realize the traffic. <laughs> but I lived in Redondo, and my cousin had lived in my cousin Natalie had lived in Manhattan Beach. Yeah, and so I went from I, so I would live in Redondo Beach because I just I liked it there, and then I would drive up. I got I got a job at the Guitar Center in Hollywood because I figured I would meet the most musicians. And a month later, one of my friends, she worked in the drum department. Her boyfriend was Ivan DePrume, who White had played zombie. drums in White Zombie. Yep, he was jamming with Tommy Victor. I started playing in prong. And throughout my life, when people have said, don't do this, this is the stupidest decision, and, but I say, like, no, I need to do this, it's kind of been, like, one of the greatest things I could do. Yeah. But people told me I shouldn't move to L.A. They said, oh, you should go to Austin and try that out and then move to L.A. You know, people always go to L.A. and they come back because can't, you can't, you know, can't handle it. People were like, why are you playing in Prong? Prong's done. The 90s are over with. You need to play with, like, P.O.D. or uh, <laughs> you need to get a rapper to sing for you. Well, I did. I tried that. Yeah, that I know. Nightmare. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I learned a lot, and Lethal and Sam and John are great guys. Their crew was great guys. That's all I can say. Sure, I understand. <laughs> Their management was amazing yeah. too. Yes, there were there was friends. people on that band yeah. that uh, got bigger yeah. than themselves and it imploded for yeah. sure. Um, and I, I want to stop about to stop right there. Uh, I want to get into the prong stuff and meet in the Madonna stuff in part two. Um, but I do remember, and you probably don't. Um, well, first of all, we talked about it being difficult to move out there. Uh, a lot of the friends, family, maybe not the family, but the friends and the fans of my remains gave you a lot of shit. Even some of the other band members gave you some shit early on about moving. Um, I think I told you, dude, you, you, you have to take a chance. I, I had, was born in California. I didn't really get to enjoy the LA scene any because I was too young, but I knew it'd be good for you. Um, uh, and then in new year's Eve, 1999, Y2K, 2000. So that, that night, you called me. I was with my first wife at some place in Tyler, and I you called me and was like, dude, like you told me, thank you. You know, like you appreciated, you were loving it there. You told me that you had played guitar on the beach. I think you had met um, one of the guys from live like the night before or something, the guitar player maybe. Does that sound familiar? That I don't know. But okay. that's, that would be really weird if I did because I remember one time, um, you know, that sounds familiar actually, but and that's, I don't know why, I, why all I'm remembering all of these things, but in 2001 on the first Madonna tour, which we'll talk about later, yeah. me and Chris Barnes, who was the singer for 
Cannibal Corpse and, and then later started Six Feet Under. Me and Chris went out to this bar. Well, we, we he came to a show. Yeah. And oh no, no oh and then uh, one of the guitar players from the band Malevolent Creation. So we went out and we we're hanging out because he and I had become friends from being from me being in prong. Mm-hmm. And um, and then this dude comes up. He goes, "Are you kidding me?" He goes, "Madonna's guitar player and 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 six feet under singer. You guys <laughs> know each other and you're hanging out." And we're like, "Well, yeah. Why is that so weird?" Right. <laughs> That's funny. But, you know, but but then and he's like, "Oh man," he goes, "I play in the band live." It was one of the guys in the band live, and then us three hung out all night. Okay. Well, yeah, and I may have my stories. You know, as you said, time kind of. Uh, gets makes things a little bit foggy, but I do remember you calling me that night. I remember stepping out of the bar and talking to you for a few minutes. The other thing you told me, and you probably won't remember this, is you said, man, the girl's out here. You said, in Texas, if a hot chick walks by, you turn and you watch her go by. I said, but if you do that out here, you miss like two or three more that walk by in front of you. And uh, that was something I, I, you probably... probably that, that, that probably sounds like something he would have said. <laughs> Well, either way, I uh, we're gonna wrap this thing up for for the first part of this. Um, we got a lot more. I lo- can't wait to get into. But Monty, I appreciate you taking some time. And man, I uh, I am just beyond proud of what you've accomplished. Uh, you know, you you may not be a household name like an Eddie Van Halen or anything, but you are getting to do what you love, and you are one of the best guitar players I've ever heard. And I I cannot be more proud of you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. That means the world. Absolutely. All right, Monty, I'm going to let you go. We will uh, we'll we'll wrap up. We'll do part two when you have some time. We'll talk about the the Madonna years, and then we'll probably do a part three with Kevin Blaylock and Chris Sheehan, where you guys can just tell some stories. And um, I'll I'll probably just sit back and listen to those because I missed out on most of the My Remains fun. So all right, let's, uh, let's try to do it tomorrow. Okay, sounds good, man. We'll uh, we'll talk tomorrow.
buried in my own head Buried in my own dead Buried in my own blade And bury my yesterdays Hiding my own fears Don't you know that I've been hiding all these years Hiding my own pain And hiding my yesterdays So what you think about